the ordinary. Place is becoming ever more present in everything we do, who we do it for, why we do it. So I'd like to begin with an encouragement country. I'd like to acknowledge the first peoples of this land, from whose wisdom and generosity we are constantly learning. Where we are and the history that precedes us informs how we work and how we move forward. So I'd like to pay my respects to the traditional owners of the land and the tool that. The Woodchuck people of the Lunar Nation and their elders past, present, and emerging. For those of you who've been at a few sessions previously, you'll know that we're fostering a culture of um, open listening, I guess. Feel free to come and go as you please. Restrooms are downstairs. There's an exit just here, and the session might be recorded, is being recorded. So today we've gathered some great speakers, Jeremy Smith, Annika Moses, and Steve Berry. I'd actually like to invite them to just have a quick chat to us about their practice or their relationship to experimental practice, just to kick us off and give us a bit of a sense of who we are.
it was really, really, I felt really embraced by that sector nationally, I guess, um, during the four years. It was very generous and um, they were very open, particularly in the early starts of um, my time at the council to introduce me to the concept of experimental practice across all forms and colours. So that's what I was like today's conversation. And Steve? Can I just make a Spin me around. Yeah. <laughs> installations or tools for creatives to build things with. Um, I love working collaboratively with people, um, as well as kind of trying to find audiences in new places, whether that's science museums or theatres or galleries or the street or app stores or whatever. Um, I kind of got, I worked with PBI Collective uh, for about five, six years, and they kind of mentored me into the kind of participatory live art practice, which is kind of well, something I always did, but never really that formally. So from my work heads day now. Um, but we're generally interested in all things technology and so forth. Awesome. And I suppose in terms of me, I'm predominantly a theatre maker working with narrative. So not, not technically an experimental artist. I do like to experiment with form and I do have quite a lot of experience with conservative audiences and structures. And, um, and I'm, I'm deeply interested in, in us fostering a really complex culture here that has depth of, you know, a range of performance making styles and approaches and in ways that we can maybe share those audiences that are up for a little bit of adventure across those different platforms, whether it leans into the traditional completely embraces the experimental. So I think um, I think being in conversation about this is really exciting. I'm really glad there's an appetite for this chat. It's, um, it came up a few times in the application process for the Hub that people did want to have a conversation around experimental arts. So that's the context, I guess, of why we're here. It's a new discussion. <coughs> this wasn't aired in the previous Creative Hub, so in a lot of ways, I guess we'll begin with a bit of a temperature check of you know, how we're feeling, how the experimental artists in the room are feeling. Do we feel like there are platforms emerging for, for that work to find an audience? And um, what could we maybe do better to make it um, you know, um, just more exciting? Let's just be more exciting. <laughs> so I guess let's unpack the current landscape a little bit. And we just spoke about Tony's question. A, I think is really exciting, and also B, really interesting that um, this, this week is the first time I've heard of really what, what you're up to. Mm -hmm. So maybe a little bit more sharing of what people are doing around the place and how those networks might be better shared. So challenges. Steve, want to kick that off? Challenges with making and sharing uh, experimental work in Perth? Yeah, sure. I'll leave it spinning. I like this. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, um, challenge, 
has really always come as to how to market or how to, to share work with presenters or venues or festivals. They get them to get a bit of understanding what I'm trying to achieve and then for them to convey in a way that I'm happy with that to their audience or their hunters. Um, and that anything in that translation process, I've always found that things get diluted or dumbed down or transferred into something which is not really um, what my expectations are. And then that translates into audiences having strange expectations or unrealistic expectations coming to shows. Um, I had when we uh, did the a black market work with, with PBI Collective, we had it was marketed through Perth Festival. And they marketed it as a street theatre. It wasn't really a street theatre. It meant we had really? a decent percentage of like older people coming expecting to sort of see some fun events in the street, I guess. And then when we said, no, you have to like put on headphones and run around and in the dark streets of Subiaco, there was a general like, uh... So I think that like setting those expectations is tricky often because by definition, these works are hard to categorise or hard to explain to people. I don't know if, if anyone in the audience has found something similar with their work. A absolutely, Steve. It's Mark here. You probably can't. I'm right, right at the back. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's really. That's a. That's a core issue. And I think actually sometimes it's harder to convince the presenters, I feel, than audiences. I think that audiences actually more and more are, are open to the experiences and actually the concept of genres or boundaries around things. I think when you do something like that, when you say, like a work like Black Market, when you say that it's street theatre, then you're categorising it in a particular way. And I think, that's, I think that is problematic and I don't know if audiences mind as much like so the I, I did a little show at the recobite a few weeks ago and it was like uh it was just looking at data basically but it was kind of like a work that was sat somewhere between performance visual arts and 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 theater and it was like it was actually it was trying to convince like my publicist about what the what what the form was or trying to convince venues that the kind of was was one of the hardest elements Audiences, particularly people who weren't particularly, um, you know, who didn't go to a lot of arts practices, they just were happy to experience it as a work in that kind of way. So, yeah, I think it is. It's a really, yeah, I think it's a really common issue, Steve. It's like, you know, you're forced to categorise your work in a particular way, and that's that that does limit both the audience's expectations of it and you as a maker, you know, kind of like what you're expected to do. So, yeah. Is it, a, is it a sort of a long game thing, do you think, where we're, we're together building audiences you know, ability to, to read work for themselves, or is there something that we need to do in the short term, or, you know, is there a way in the short term to address how we communicate form? I mean, I'll, I'm, all, I'm totally happy to keep talking, but if there's other people who want to join in, it's like, it's, a, it's kind of, it's quite a passion of mine, so do genuinely just shut me down when it's time for other people to talk. But um, yeah, I think, I think, I think that, is a, that, that is part of it. It is a long, it's a long experience, but actually we're, we're a long way along that journey. Like this is, this, this is not new, like, you know, it's like even this concept of like, of a weird thing. Like, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that the work I make is, is weird at all. I mean, like, like, when I think of people who make genuinely weird performance work, like, like, I think that's wonderful, but I just can't think in that type of, like, that way. Absolutely, concepts of, like, of narrative or, not even narrative, of, like, like 
um, form and like the way that we present the, the content and like I mean it's a while since I've done something with like a character in it um, but like those those conversations are like we're, we're well down the track I think and I think it's it's about trusting that our audiences are there and that they're willing to go with us but it is like I think yeah, yeah I think the, you, sorry no you go no no just thinking back to even say 10 years ago when um, you know trying to kind of as a, being a programmer at that time and trying to program works, they mm. did push form a little bit. And talk about still, you know, still there's a story and characters, mm. but but that the response to, to that sort of work was I felt quite sort of shocking. People were really like, oh no, it's just too, it's too much. Yeah, it had all of the kind of structures of. It is something weird, like when um, at council, obviously part of my role is to sit with assessment meetings as a subject matter expert for the grants program and um, I don't, I sort of set back from council obviously but, and I don't know if the models of grants program is still the same but um, there were the optional criteria that you could select to address that third criterion, I'm trying to remember back to the audience creation, international access participation and a, no, there's another, which is consistent across all panels. In EEA, everyone just sort of thought it was all about creation. Mm. Rarely you would get anyone coming into the EEA and address audiences or access participation, which I thought was really extraordinary. Yeah. Because I think a big, there's a real thirst um, when you look at what's happened recently in the festivals um, and regional Australia side of things around experimental practice. Um, but it was just for me really interesting that a lot of artists just pivoted straight towards creation. Because even if there was an inherent element of audience access or, or indeed access participation. It was just this sort of, and it was like my other panel was the complete polar opposite. Everything in CICD became about access and participation and not about creation. Um, community arts and cultural development, sorry. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's funny to sort of see, I think, what barriers some artists and organisations impose on themselves, thinking that that's what would give them a better chance of getting success within a, a panel situation. And in terms of, I think Annika and I had a really kind of casual chat just about one challenge which I think can jump off that, the difficulty of securing funding for work in this space, because as difficult as it can be to talk to audiences, it can also be difficult to talk to panels and funding bodies. Have you found, Jeremy, that there's a, I don't know, like an increase in was there any reason people coming to the council in this space mm. during this time? In, I think, you know, that's one of the, the, the advantages mm -hmm. of the grant reforms that happened at council before I started was that it did the playing field quite a bit. Um, you know, the depth of individuals and groups applying to experimental arts is a lot bigger than the number of organisations that apply. Um, and community arts is the complete opposite. But, um, I think there, you know, and it's actually, I keep, one of the things I used to keep saying when I was doing advocacy to council is that it's enshrined in council's act that will support experimental um, practice. And that's not just in the, in the experimental arts sector, but across all forms of practice. Um, and so that's something that I used to say to people when I think about the context of your experimentation in the Thinking is really valuable because, like, 
the kind of, I guess, in sound, like the way that um, experimental sound artists can organize themselves and the roles that um, you take on uh, in various ways, like can be applied to the way we organize ourselves in other platforms um, <coughs> or in other uh, more palatable or even commercial um, art. But like, I guess we are talking on a sliding scale of like, um, you know, experimentation being valued in your practice is not the same as like, I guess I know a lot of people whose work is actually just, there will never be a huge cost. Like there will never be a substantial audience for them and there will never really be, like there's not really, yeah, the venues that exist to support their work. Um, so I guess like a lot of what we do, like with Timonist is, and we have secured funding for the um, festival for four years now, five if you count, 2020, um, but I guess convincing funding bodies that like what we do is important and also the, the like resisting the pressure to professionalize or like um, kind of, convincing people that like even if there isn't like bums on seats like this is a really really valuable thing um so, and can I, so I think time list is, is like wonderful. I think I think what you guys do is is great. Like in terms of taking that that, that the type of work that you do and, and putting it within a within that sort of environment. I did want to ask like so for me I kind of feel I often sort of say the work that I make or the work that I work on is festival work. And the reason I say it's festival work is because not implying a standard, but implying that like audiences are really only open to engaging with it when it's in a festival context. Like, like, and do you feel that actually by making a festival, you opened up the amount of people who came to, like, who were willing to come, like, to Audible Edge and, and you know, like, who engage with your work as a result? Yeah, I think like especially this year we were like, we saw like a huge increase in audience. Uh, and like audiences from other scenes, um, and I think that festivals are like exciting for people, right? Mm. Like it's it feels exciting, but um, people aren't really up for like going out on a regular Tuesday night to like see some weirdo play saxophone yeah. for a long time. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. like. I guess what was really exciting in this year's festival is we talked about this idea of unlimited ambition. So like, as, a, as an artist-run organization, um, inviting people to really dream of like what they, what they're compelled to make and what, what they could make if they had the platform to present it, right? Mm. And then just saying like, well, we're going to present it for you. So like, um, Lots of artists like really, really trying new things, and there's like a high level of risk, I guess, in programming like these bills that were like, you know, um, an acoustic trio um, improvising, and then like someone playing a lot of synthesizer, and then like Joe Williams presenting like a weird theatre piece with dancers. Um, <laughs> but like that giving, I think festival, the idea of festivals is like. People are excited to um, dream big, and even though like there's we, I mean we have funding, we didn't have really the fees to pay people what 
those works were like worth. But like the generosity in this scene is like huge because we have to be generous with each other. Do you think, like, going back to Mel's thing, do you think, in terms of, like, the, the, like, the 10 years or so, is it getting easier? Do you think it's getting easier now in terms of both, like, talking to the places where you're trying to present work and, like, audiences coming? Or is it still just as hard every year? Um, I, I don't, I don't think I can answer that question because I'm, like, very new to mm. organising and only have, like, that even over the four years, like that's a valid experience. That's like, I think if you can work, you can work more than six months in experimental practice. Like, I think you're doing pretty well. Okay. Um, I think so, but I think also maybe um, we've like really been trying to think of new strategies of involving people. So I think like audiences are often like afraid or yeah, like afraid of experimental work um, or like. There are obviously barriers in place to accessing this kind of work, and that can be like, um, like I always find it really, really awful sitting in like a music auditorium and listening to a really long piece of experimental work where I can't move around or um, I have to be really quiet. And also thinking about the way that experimental sound has like a history in institutions, like it, it is like an institutionalized. Mm. So the work that we present is trying to like increase access to this kind of work by encouraging like I guess the language we use around it is um, very bodily. So trying to be like encourage um, uh, audience to have like autonomy and agency in the way that they experience the work. Um, also getting away from the idea that this is really. Uh, cerebral and yeah. like you have to um, understand it and almost like yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, so I think like thinking around access to the work is a big responsibility. Yeah. And I mean I think a lot of it too, which is a trend I noticed over the school bus teams. I didn't do it. Yeah. Institutions, so I'm talking like Art Centre Melbourne, who have created Nature which is an incredible mm. experimental, you know, platform. I guess Sydney Opera House, with Sydney Opera House presents, mm -hmm. and the work that they're doing. So large behemoths of institutions, and I think it's about the not just being on the shoulders of one individual mm. to present and produce and commission the works of that, and it becomes a sort of um, equal load across the organisation. I mean, obviously people like Anne Harrod going to Art Centre Melbourne and. Mm. Um, something that really changed the landscape. Um, just before I moved to Sydney and took up the role at the council was when Performance Space ended yeah, up yeah. choosing the Liveworks Festival. Yes. And that was a huge shift that they had to go through as a result of funding changes yeah. from that venue that they were running, going to Carriage Works and then having that freedom to take over that whole yeah. venue um, for two weeks every year, which still was flourishing and, 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 and it has really changed the model that they do in terms of that spawned a whole new um, cohort of labs and sort of opportunities for artists to just have time and space to think and, and create and develop connections internationally as well. 
it's interesting, and then we're seeing things like you know, next wave rising mm. and the kind of, you know, no one's quite sure what's happening, but dark uh, noble and the popularity of that as a um, Tasmania was a short yeah. too because unconformity is really, really hot. Um, and they do a sort of year round series of labs and then the Situate initiative that was formerly through um, Salamanca but Emma Boris is now um, moved into Tasdale, I believe. Um, so it's, it's kind yeah. of fertile ground, isn't it, for this, this, the nature of this kind of practice? There is clearly an appetite for it. So what, what do we feel like we've got here? So there's the fringe as a platform, but, you know, his club, I mean, at the floor, I mean, that feels like a way to give him kind of test mm -hmm. ideas and form. I think what Fringe has done in this audience, though, is it's really made people, um, to, it's helped to make audiences less afraid. Yes. Yeah. The whole stuff, yeah. you know, and, and I know it's not necessarily very artist, but from, from an audience point of view, it, it really encourages you to take a risk, mm -hmm. to buy a cheap ticket, to go and see multiple things in a night. To go with it, and in terms of participatory work and people trying new things, it's changed the way people approach the aspects, and I think that's opened up a big opportunity for other festivals and venues and presenting bodies to capitalise on that yes. change strategy. Absolutely, and it's I guess that you know, um, maybe see what what you think about this, Steve. You know, is it sort of by by the nature of the work, does it? You know, does it kind of remain on the fringes? Are we looking for ways to, to embed this sort of work in institutions here? Like, what would what would you like to see happen as a kind of blue sky? I think, um, I mean, kind of by definition, this space is kind of transitional. Like everything that's experimental now will not be however yeah. many years. It'll just it'll just be normalised. And so, I think as we're seeing, um, you know, Jerry mentioned Angara go out to. Us in a moment, it's those transitions that we see people where experimental arts for them is now normal to them and they transfer that into bigger institutions. So we see that progress progress move. I think for me, um, I don't know if this is actually a question, but with funding, it's always this tension of being like, here's something I've done before and I want to do a new project. It's experimental, but it can't be so far removed from this thing that I'm showing you I can do because that's too risky for you to fund. So it kind of has to be like, within a leap, like not the same thing you're doing again, but within a leap of like, here's something new, but still something proven, I guess. Um, so I guess that makes the road a bit slower uh, for progress through the month than then. That's potentially um, true of all art forms though, isn't it really? Yeah, absolutely. Could I, could I ask, so as a reasonably recent um, arrival in Perth, so like, who, who are the people who like have that kind of, I mean, you don't get many Ankharids or, or, um, or Fiona's, like they're, they're not there. But in terms of, I mean, Pika can only do so much in terms of experimental work. And Pika has a large visual arts focus as well, which I think, I, think, I mean, I'm a judge, but I think we're predominantly talking about performance-based practice. So it's like, so there's, there's only so much that Pika can do. So who are the leading, like, who are the organisations here who who do experimental, like, larger organisations that do experimental work? Oh, of course, well, PBI, of course. In terms of, um, you yeah. know, when you look at the, 
ecosystem nationally of 40 funded organizations under the experimental arts um, mm. portfolio. There was ANET, Australian oh, yeah. Art Technology, Performance Space, and PBR Collective. Yeah. Unfortunately, there was also Liquid Architecture in the previous cohort, and then also um, Real Time, which obviously folded. Um, but yeah, I guess um, you know the model that previously, and I'm not as familiar with how they work now, but spaced in terms of the residency model that they use, both around the way and the way that they produce. Um, I think it was a huge loss when CIA closed mm. here because that provided a real incubator space for artists to have time and space to play and whatnot. Um, so I think that was um, CIA actually was sorry for those. The Centre for Interdisciplinary Arts, I think it was called, which was run by PBI Collective, which was in an old heritage building on Newcastle Street, which used to be where I went to work. Um, yeah, so I think. Yeah, that did provide a kind of, you know, a, a nucleus for people to come in with ideas or engage with different types of practice in a way we don't necessarily have. And why, why, why did C, CIA, was that the, the funding ran out, PBI, were just too strict? Um, the education department wanted to build in Ah, okay. Mm. And it's empty. Mm. It still sits empty. Yeah. It's totally missed. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've got things like Symbiotica as well. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. A pretty good residue for the program. Mm. Yeah, and look, I think there is an interest in visual art space and it's moving yeah. into this oh, yeah. as well. You said that, so particularly yeah. in a kind of visual art context, but I yeah. think what needs to be built Yes. 
No, it was one of the things that um, when I joined council, there was a really big cavern between the portfolios that I inherited and the work that had just been starting to take place through council's recently launched international arts strategy at that stage, and um, I just sort of tried to hone in on developing a really close bridge with um, initially Sophie Travers, um, who's now at Collingwood Art Precinct, and obviously at that stage was the international development manager for Europe, and. Um, we sort of, I went to an IETM meeting at one point in Brussels and we sat down for two days and tried to nut out what would look like, what an experimental art strategy would look like for Europe. Can you tell us what IETM is? IETM, I don't know what the acronym means. It's, um, it's basically a contemporary performance network in Europe. Um, is the best way to describe it. And it's a really interesting beast. I've been to two of them now. Um, and it is a great platform, and I know that they're actually doing an online version at the moment, calling for some submissions to that as well, so keep an eye out for that. Where they get together, it's not a market in the traditional sense of the, the market um, situation where it's about developing networks, and so it's a long, slow burn about creating opportunities, and, and um, which I know for some artists has led to commissions and, and, and really strong reciprocal relationships across Europe and But we looked at all the different segments of what made up experimental practice, and that was looking at sound art, at media art, at live art, at performance, at, and this is the thing, it's a really huge spectrum of practice, um, bio art, and a lot of these artists and groups and organisations were forging their own path, and you know, when we talked to them, they just didn't want to be interrupted, we just said, okay, please go ahead, we don't need to stick our noses in, but it was more actually around live art performance where we felt that we could have the most value about sort of developing those connections and um, brokering opportunities and whatnot, so that really for Europe at that stage became a, a primary focus about looking at major festivals and, and particularly um, artists that were working in that space that looked at um, wanting to take their work or, or develop on developing commissions, that was something that Sophie and I sort of looked at trying to work um, through networks like IETM, um, uh, through the delegation programs that were going to the Theatre of the Welt and, and other big events as well. So, yeah. But that's something for, for everyone to look at those opportunities when we can all travel again. The council supports around, they do support delegations to IETM, to TPAN, Tokyo Performing Arts Market, um, Adam, which is Asia Discovers Asia. Network meeting, I think, which is more focused on Taipei um, and Taiwan. Sorry. So look at those opportunities when the new world starts becoming whatever the new normal looks like. Also, if anyone has any like questions or mm. wants to jump in, can. One other thing I'll do, and then I see Gemma wants to ask a question. Is the one of the most incredible experiences mm -hmm. I've been a part of, both as an audience member as a funder and I think talking to artists as well, is that democracy. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Idols in Adelaide, mm. because I think that whole experience, um, if you can get to it, go, because it's really extraordinary. I think the applications have closed this year, but, um, but the actual opportunity, I think, for both artists and for audiences in that context is, is really interesting. It's a residency? Well, it's a work in progress type um, opportunity where um, you apply, there's a panel, Get selected, and then you spend the day essentially workshopping like whatever your creative idea is. But then 
small audiences come in each night and have the opportunity to talk and test other those ideas and, and the work evolves over the work of the period of that, obviously. Mm -hmm. So it's really... And um, statistics are so interesting, yeah. that they did a massive shift from creating sort of new Australian plays to kind of live art. Yeah. They lose funding. Do buyers lose funding? They, they, they never had either. Like, they, they never had legal or, or yeah. current funding. I think they, under the old world of council, they had one of those um, initiatives that went mm. lots of years for years. And I just wanted to pick up on your discussions around network, international networks, mm. yeah. um, and having just showcased the ATAM yes. and kind of sitting in numerous Zoom meetings. Mm. Just that sense of how radical different. So we to hire just a small room is fifteen hundred dollars a week, and that's just to rehearse. And it's like so if you're trying to develop practice, you require massive amounts of funding. Like talking about City of Fremantle, so I walked around City of Fremantle with Brendan there to look at a project to do next year, and literally he was showing us warehouse after warehouse after warehouse of space. It's like space in Perth is astonishing. It seems like there's so much. Yeah, and if we can get access into the councils or access into to try to unlock some of these spaces, I think that's an extraordinary opportunity here for people to play. I mean, that, like, like if I want to make, if I want to just play around, I can find a space within like next week. Maybe might cost me fifteen bucks. It's like that's 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 an extraordinary opportunity. Um, and the other thing is, is that, like actually the community here is is, feels to me, much more supportive than any of the other art communities in the major cities that I've worked in, which is both a benefit, because everybody is genuinely open to experiencing other people's work, and it's a negative because nobody does any criticism here. There's like, there's no genuine critical feedback. It's like, if I, if I, like, I, I sort of have these general conversations that I feel are not like I'm not, like I, I don't, I'm, it's not personal, I'm just purely looking at the work. Where does this work stand in the context of Australia? Where does it stand in the context of what's happening internationally? Like I don't, it's not, did I like it or not? It's like, what is this actually about? And it's like, the, the, this kind of like fear that seems to come up is quite unhealthy. It's like, I think we actually genuinely need to engage with each other's work 
and look at it and say, all right, what is this worth? Is this, you know, is like, what does it mean? And it's like, yeah, that's that's my only other thing in terms of Perth is that like it's so supportive. Everyone is so so nice, and that can be really dangerous. <laughs> <laughs>
these areas but they'll only give you this area to be able to work in so yeah I think they need to get it together but and until and obviously Whoppers are you know in a situation now where they've just gone well we need this money to build a new building so you guys can just you know plan the dirt over there until we're done so yeah it's a bit it's problematic
maybe this being around um, in you know environment and st uh, sustainability and practice, and maybe even just feeding into that how we can uh, develop some networks around sharing things like equipment, yeah. knowledge, space, technology, and just yeah. kind of support each other. I think that's that's where the real strength is. Yeah,
small scale. I find it very discouraging to see that big companies aren't being like encouraged or supported in more experimental and interesting programming. And I wonder if anyone else has been sort of following it or wondering how much the bigger bigger companies who do more traditional um, tried to pick the um, news stories around those travellers who were really famous in New Zealand for like causing havoc around the country sort of a couple of years ago and to create a, a, a new work based on that. Like a viral moment that's maybe like a little bit mad now. Yeah. And being like, let's make opera about this and that there's feeling like there's a mismarriage between what a state funded opera company is meant to deliver and what he is trying to push the government into. Here's the kind of hook, and maybe that's 
absolutely the, well, definitely the long term phrase, but, the, but it's like the context of that work in that festival program is going to sit differently to it being fireworks just yeah. because of the nature of the yeah. yeah. I mean, it's because I think the, the festival landscape, because when I first started council, there was Bowler, which had been running for, mm -hmm. I think it did about three or four editions of it. So it was a biennial model, which was sort of championed by Arts House. Festival um, of Live Art. Festival of Live Art, yeah. And so it then transitions, I think, because a lot of it just had run its course, because, you know, the whole context of Live Art had changed and um, there had been other things pop up nationally, such as proximity at that stage and, and other things. So it sort of transitions to become Bleed, which was then uh, broke the consortia and then partnered with Campbelltown Art Centre. Um, and I, it, that happened as I was leaving council and so I did, and then I was trying to start a new job so I didn't really get a chance to engage too much with it. But I think it was about both real life and online based practice, which um, did anyone? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's very phenomenal. Yeah. We kind of, I mean, well, because that was when we first started working from home. And we were yeah. all kind of like, what is this world we're living in? And then we were like, oh, something to do. And it was all about future. They had this whole thing about futurism, like the next 10 years, which is such an interesting space because of climate change, in terms of so many things. Like it's a very exciting space for lots of kind of conversations and art forms are sort of in that you know, futurism space. And, you know, particularly decolonising futurism, all that sort of stuff. It's very exciting. And I think the way it sort of allowed artists who normally would work together to collaborate and produce new work was something that was really um, Yeah. Uh, and I had that great partnership with Guardian, you yeah. know, where there'd be um, kind of weekly essays that published in a very mainstream platform, which was fantastic. Yeah, with things like your legend real time before disappearing, you know, you miss those kind of spaces in conversation. So we've got about ten minutes. Has anyone else got anything they'd like to kind of Even even when you're funded, there's there's a line that you put in the grant that there's some kind of money. So you've got to get some people through the door. And realistically, you also feel the responsibility to like the more people I get from this key, the more I'm going to get to the one after because it's like it does it does come to play with that. Like people equal sustainability. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and it encourages you to push further. Yeah. Like it's kind of like yeah yeah if we can get people on this, then it's like all right, well what about if I do this? Yeah. And what do you think it's going to take for the industry and for the ecology in Perth to help grow audiences into that type of work? I think it, it, I think when you give something high billing, people people come to it. And I think so. It, it's I, I think it's about how you it's trusting that the work can pull audiences. I mean, like 
before he was Castellucci, he was just making weird work. Like, but it, you know, now now you've got 27 festivals who will bankroll it to make the work before it doesn't even exist. It's just trusting, <coughs> trusting that the audiences will come, and there will be, you know, there will be Sefton in Adelaide. There will be failures that like audiences don't come when you've sunk a bunch of cash into it. But it's like I would take that festival over, like. Neil redoing an opera again, like I, like I, yeah, like I would, like that's because at least it's pushing, and it's like if you've got those big organisations that are well funded, I mean, you know, like I mean, opera, like Opera Australia, I mean, it's just crushing the amount of money that they pull, you know, and I, I don't, you know, we should all argue that the pie is bigger, not how the pie is sliced yeah. up, but like, you know, is that thing? It's like actually the pie is being spent on West Side Story. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, and just sunk into those piers in Sydney Harbour. It's like, what, like, the, um, yeah, so, so I, I think it's that. I think it's like, and I, like, I think you guys have a tough job there because obviously you are trying to, you're trying to hit a lot of different things. But it's like, with, for every Tim Minchin, if you have a, like, you know, if someone else does have a genuine, those sort of big feelings, mm. I think you can pull audiences along to it. We just found, like, you know, because I was yeah. I was the program manager at Fringe for five years before I came to Perth Festival, and a big part of what we told ourselves at the start of my tenure there was people go and see Braves, and that yeah. has got an overflow effect into other shows mm. that are local and that are experimental. And we did the research on it, and it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It simply doesn't. No. They're, they're comedy festivals and, so, and, like, and I don't, cabaret. Like, yeah. I, I think it's a massive challenge to try and figure out how to get the Tim Minchin audience, yeah. not just to go to an experimental art show, but how to be interested in it and feel a part of it and feel... Yeah. I think you're only dealing with maybe 20% of that audience oh. that could be interested in yeah, it, exactly. let alone who would then bother to go yeah. to it. So but there's such a perception of like <coughs> if you're in a festival show or if you're in that kind of context, that the audience will automatically come to you, and 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 you still have to sell within that audience, and you still have to be able to pull that audience down. And, and one of the big challenges I found as a lover of this type of work, and who really wants to be able to program it more, is that there's we haven't really landed on the right way to talk about it. You know, we talk about there's this cerebral thing, and I think what you're doing is so fascinating about how trying to kind of do, like democratize the language around the work. Yeah, but I, I don't. You know, I feel like there's so much work to do in how, the, in how artists talk about their work and then how presenters can talk about it in a way that finds it rightfully. Yeah. But they can also bring it back to the audience. Yes. Mm. If an audience goes, if an audience members go and see stuff and they dig it, yeah. they're describing it to their mates and mm. they're using language that is comfortable That's for their mates. Yeah. I think that there can be this weird cycle where as artists we do grasp speak and we kind of yeah. Okay. But like we had the same issue with the irresistible mm -hmm. 
would be tricky, maybe in, in sync with everyone. Yeah, um, there's so many red places there that I wish I could give hugs to, but uh, no, I mean, I guess I'm really just feeling like the, the lack of a space. Like, I think um, having a space that you identify with that kind of work, that if you go to a, 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 a performance or a work there, you have, you know, that set, set expectations. I think um, I went and saw Mark's work at the Rackabye, and I think that came along with expectations of what sort of show I'd see at the Rackabye. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure if it really fitted in my mind with what, what the actual show ended up being. And I think that was like, that's totally on me, like that was my expectations. But I felt like that was just some sort of baggage that I was bringing to it, that I wanted a venue that was like more for that space of work, that somewhere it was between, um, you know, like a club and a theatre and whatever that was. And maybe the record by just that space, and I just don't see the right things there or something. The only, I'll respond to that, see, like, I, I deliberately chose the record by because, I mean, I did the development at the state, and it's like when you view something at the state, it's, you're viewing it in a really particular way, and it's like actually, in terms of that democratisation, it's like, I mean, because I don't have any history of the record by for me it was like, absolutely, this is the right performance space, because it, it just, it's whatever you want it to be, kind of rolling, rolling into it. But it is like, like, a number of people have said that to me. It's like, oh, so it's like, I thought that it was going to be, particularly because Tura helped me with it, it's like, I just thought it was going to be like some weird music gig. Like, um, it's like, what, like, no, no I've got work. I mean, like, people there. Yeah. whatever you want to, or not have a beer. Like you can just experience whatever you want to, whatever you want to experience. So, I mean, Shoe with the Record Bite was really great. Like, I mean, that was the easiest programming thing that has ever happened to me. Literally, I sent a one and a half minute clip to Marcus at the Record Bite and I was programmed. Like, I mean, that's, like, that's, that's an as yeah. astonishing, I mean, yeah. he didn't well, deliver it. Somebody else had to deliver yeah. it. Yeah. Like, but it's like, that's, you know, like, that's, these, I think just there are spaces if you can, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably good at branding because it sort of is like I've been around for long enough that it's like you, you focus on the experience, not what it actually is. It's like this makes you feel like whatever. Like, um, yeah, but that's, I think, yeah, the record bike was a space for me that, that, that worked quite well. But that, that's not the first time I've heard that, Steve, is that like, oh, wow, I just didn't know what I was going to get and I, I genuinely thought that it was going to be something really different to what it was, so... Mm. All right, well, I guess from that, let's keep our ears to the ground with spaces, keep advocating for each other's practice and try to articulate it, ideas we might have on how to do that, how to engage. And I think let's just keep building it, it's bubbling away, and I think it's, it's an exciting time. Yeah, see you back yes. here at 11.30.